Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by John Hodge and J.C. Abbott. Today, we're discussing the Winnipeg Blue Bombers clinching first place in the West Division for a second year in a row. William Stanback's disappointing debut with Montreal after coming back from a broken ankle. The Hamilton Tiger Cats breathing new life into their playoff hopes with a win over the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Explosive receiver Malik Henry signing a big contract extension with the Calgary Stampeders. And former CFL head coach Mike Kelly taking a shot at modern Canadian offenses. But first. The BC Lions posted a video of Canadian quarterback Nathan Rourke throwing at practice on Tuesday, just seven weeks after he underwent surgery to repair a sprained Liz Frank in his right foot. Head coach and co-general manager Rick Campbell told the media that Rourke could be back before the end of the season, saying, quote, that is definitely not any false hope, close quote. Is there a chance that the superstar plays again this CFL season? Well, I guess there is, boys. I mean, Rick Campbell said so on Tuesday. The Lions also said they were hopeful that work could return at the end of August when he underwent surgery. I think at the time, everybody kind of scoffed and said, like, well, you can be hopeful. You're all going to be hopeful. It's good to live your life with hope. But there's also an unfortunate thing called reality sometimes that uh, that casts your hopes aside, so to speak. That being said, I mean, it's pretty damning when Nathan Rourke is there at practice as a limited participant slinging the football around, right? This is not, you know, seven weeks ago where it's like, well, we, you know, the surgery hasn't even happened yet, but we're hopeful that he'll be back. I mean, when, and Dunk, you covered the the story when Rourke first got hurt. He said that he suffered a torn labrum in 2018 while he was playing at Ohio University, and he came back from that ahead of schedule. Apparently, he's way ahead of schedule for this. And if I may offer some some hope, boys, since we were talking about hope earlier, I would love to see Nathan work in the postseason because, frankly, there is no more entertaining player to watch in the CFL. And if anyone's going to add some juice 
to these CFL playoffs that are upcoming. It is the Canadian kid, Nathan Rourke. Superhuman on the field, superhuman in the rehab room, apparently, as well. I mean, this is a miraculous recovery in terms of the timeline that it takes typically to come back from this type of Liz Frank injury. Um, The fact that he's already on that foot throwing already is insane. You just hope it's not a rushed recovery. And while I think Nathan Rourke is going to be back, at least by the playoffs, maybe a week before, if you watch that video, I'm not convinced he is ready to go quite yet. He looks like a guy who is laboring a little bit. He's a little bit slow on that injured foot, which is understandable. We'll see how it reacts to that type of stress. And hopefully he doesn't suffer any setbacks. As a result, he can continue this trajectory because like you said, Hodge, the league is a better place with Nathan Rourke on the field because he is far and away the best player in the league right now. One might even say the most outstanding player, Hodge, <laughs> by a wide, wide, wide margin. And if he is under center for the BC Lions and he is playing a competent level of football, it doesn't even have to be his highest level, just a competent level of football, I think that team can take on anybody in the league and potentially upset the Bombers in the playoffs. Nathan Rourke is showing that if you focus in on something that you want to do, if it's recovery or anything else, that it can happen more quickly than the average recovery time. I think, JC, you said it well. He's superhuman on the field, superhuman off the field. So that average recovery time is for your average human. And an average human, Nathan Rourke, is not. All right, let's get that straight. I will say, when you watch that video and it's just one throw, he's not driving through with that right foot the way that he usually would be in his throwing motion. And it looks like there is some kind of discomfort there on his face as he's going through that throwing motion. That said, the fact that he's out on the field and the Lions medical staff feels comfortable for him to be out there. And I hope they've gone over every possible detail in allowing him to actually be out there. It does give the Lions hope that Rourke could be back on the field this season. And you would have to think playoffs is going to be the target. I mean, it would help JC's argument for him to be the MLP if he gets back in the regular season. I'm sure he'd put up some nice numbers against a Winnipeg Blue Bombers team that's probably going to be resting a bunch of dudes in some form or fashion. But if he's back in the playoffs, that would be exciting. The league could certainly use that infusion. And we saw it on the site, guys. Every single thing that we wrote that even mentioned Nathan Rourke while he was playing and even for his injury now and his rehab and the fact he's back on the field does well from a traffic and readership perspective. So it would be great to see Rourke back on the field and selfishly for him, it would help out his NFL chances south of the border and show that he can rehab and recover quickly and get back to 100% and be at 100% potentially when he does eventually what I believe will happen sign an NFL contract yeah the average time to be weight bearing again after undergoing this type of procedure is six to eight weeks on the leg and then full recovery is usually three to six months um, or or more right Uh, now this was just a sprain it wasn't as severe as some Liz Frank injuries could be but obviously Mr. Rourke is way ahead of schedule and um, 
I mean, everybody doubted him all, you know, uh, as a Canadian quarterback coming out of the draft, people doubted him as the starter coming into this year. And uh, maybe Mr. Rourke is just proving the doubters wrong again. And those who said there would be no chance that he'd be back under center this year. The only thing I would say is you mentioned the NFL dunkster, obviously given the lucrative uh, position he could be in to, to sign a C, an NFL contract and maybe even start there down the line. You never know what could happen. Um, obviously he should only be playing if there is no risk to his long-term health, right? It's not worth coming back early to play a West semi when you've got a shot at the NFL potentially coming up. This is a player who needs to be prudent and make the right decision for himself, um, especially Vernon Adams Jr. playing decent football as their starter at the moment. The Ticats beat the Rough Riders by a score of 18-14 in Week 18, breathing new life into Hamilton's playoff hopes. The Tiger Cats now sit two points back of Saskatchewan with a game in hand for the third and final playoff spot in the East Division. Did this game tell you more about the Tabbies or the Riders? It definitely told me more about the Riders because I don't think the Hamilton Tiger Cats as a whole played particularly well, right? I went into this game saying, okay, I'm going to bet on Hamilton because I think they have better high end with their quarterback play. I think... Dang Evans can be better than Kogi Fajardo. That wasn't the case in this game. I thought Dang Evans played poorly. Kogi Fajardo was capable in this game. It didn't matter because the Saskatchewan Rough Riders got run over by the freight train that is Wes Hills in the Hamilton Tiger Cats backfield. And when you're a weaker team going into the playoffs, especially up here in Canada, what you hope for is that you can get in a situation where weather becomes the equalizer, right? And that either your run game is going to run over somebody or you can stop the other team. What the the Saskatchewan Rough Riders proved in this game is if they're lucky enough that things go their way and they make it to the playoffs, despite the tremendous talent in their linebacking core right now, they are not good enough to stop a powerful downhill back like Wes Hills, if someone keeps feeding him the rock. And that should be very, very concerning if you're a fan of that football team. It says more about the Riders because, yet again, they can't perform in the clutch. This was a game where if Saskatchewan won, essentially they would have clinched their postseason ticket, but they don't. I don't care what the elements were or that they were on the road or anything else. Just a bunch of excuses now in Rider Nation. And this team is 6-10, and ten, having lost five games in a row. And I would take every other team in the CFL to beat this team on a neutral field right now. I would put them at the bottom of my power rankings because I think their confidence is severely lacking, if not shattered, especially in these close end-of-ball-game situations. Time and time again, they have yet to prove that they can come through in the clutch. And that's ultimately what you have to be able to do in the playoffs. That's why the Bombers have beat the Riders in two straight West Finals. So to me, that is what stands out most, is that when the pressure is highest, that the Riders have not performed well or even been able to win a football game, as JC alluded to, over a team where Dana didn't really play very well, throw the ball very well, and they just ran the rock and played some field position, and still Saskatchewan couldn't win. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you guys. The answer is the Riders and their disappointing performance. I picked them to win that game, and they made me look foolish with a substandard effort in that one. Disappointing. That said, I want to talk about the Ticats a little bit. You guys highlighted West Hills getting 25 carries. I didn't have time, boys, to look and see when the last time a Ticats running back got 25 carries because I'm not sure it's happened in the last five years. And I loved it because at the end of the day, the great equalizer in this sport is that line of scrimmage and the willingness to punch your opponent in the mouth. David Beard is an all-star caliber center. The Ticats got him via trade from Edmonton. Coulter Woodmancy is a road grader at guard, the former first-round pick out of Guelph. If that offensive line, because you mentioned Dane Evans was not very good in that game. He was, he was actually, I thought, actively bad in that game. He threw two picks, less than 50% of his, his, his passes went for completions. This is a team that needs an identity. And if that identity can be, hey, our defense is scrappy, we rally to the football, we cause turnovers, and on offense, we're just going to punch you in the mouth and make you stop our 215-pound running back. All of a sudden, I can see this team making a playoff run. This is not glamorous football. It is not sexy football. But you don't have to do those things to play winning football. So I appreciated the game plan from Tommy Condell. Sometimes I think offensive coordinators try to outsmart themselves into in, in scheming and designing things that are complex. You know what, boys? Sometimes simple is best. Pound the football and you can win games. That's what the Ticats did, and it worked. Yeah. I, I think it's difficult over the stretch of a whole season for that to be an effective strategy because in order to win as a running first team, you have to be so disciplined, so well executing. It's a difficult thing to do. Only truly uh, you know, perfect franchises in terms of like the Winnipeg Blue Bombers come to mind with Andrew Harris in the backfield, can pull off that type of consistent winning. But if you are a team that needs to pull some upsets at the end of the year, right, and you've got a back like Wes Hills, and the conditions are not going to be ideal, to me, that's what you pivot towards. You, for, you forget about Dane Evans and whether he's going to be hot or not this week, and you go to the back and you just try and grind down your opponents to pull the upset. Speaking of running backs, Montreal Alouette's ball carrier William Stanback made his long-awaited return from a broken ankle this past week, but had a disappointing performance, rushing eight times for just 20 yards. Was this just a matter of rust, or should Al's fans be concerned? I don't think there should be any concern yet. He only had eight carries, and to me, that's not enough to get into a rhythm. And some guys have a tendency to come back off injury and explode, but there's other guys that take a little time to work in. So I think as Stanback's workload increases and he gets more game reps to get back in the flow and up to speed of those live situations, then he'll be back similar to the guy that we're used to seeing being the best player on this Montreal offense. And that's saying a lot because Juno Lewis has been a stud for this team this year and over the last couple of seasons. Yeah, this is speculation, but it wouldn't surprise me whatsoever if Stanback had had some type of issue um, setback with his recovery at the tail end leading into the game because 
the the Owls seem to be holding him out almost longer than necessary, right? Danny Machocha was talking about how you know Stanback could have potentially played the game before when when uh, the Alouettes went and visited the Edmonton Elks, came out with uh, came out with the win there. Um, so so to me, that is the only explanation for what and why this happened because Stanback did not look ready for prime time, and I'm saying that out of respect for what he's been able to do because as Dunk highlighted. He's an absolute stud in the backfield, led the CFL in rushing last season, and was arguably the best running back even before that in 2018 and 2019 as well. Probably a toss-up with Andrew Harris as to who's one and who's one one A, one B, so to speak. So to me, if you and and by the way, the Owls have punched their playoff ticket. They're gonna be hosting a playoff game. Everybody knows that. Uh, I think mathematically they can still be caught, but come on, they're gonna be hosting the E semi at this point. If you have to hold them out for longer do it because a healthy stand back in the playoffs makes that team a different team. And frankly, they don't need them right now. Yeah. The reality is I think this game was just for the purposes game plan wise of, of getting Stanback's feet wet, right? This didn't look like a guy that the Alouettes were comfortable with carrying the load quite yet. And he didn't quite have the burst we're used to seeing. Now he is also a guy that tends to get better as the game goes on and the more carries he gets, right? He is that grind you down type of back in a lot of ways. But this was more of a situation where the Alouettes were giving him just the absolute bare minimum, just so he could get a taste of the action so that he's better going forward, bringing him back slowly, often getting Walter Fletcher on the field. At the same time, I do think we need to give some credit to the Ottawa defense who shut down the running game virtually Regardless of who the player was in the backfield, they played fired up in that game. I thought the whole team looked entirely different with Bob Dice at the helm. They looked like they were playing together for a common goal for the first time in a long time. And I think that speaks volumes about how much respect they have for the new interim head coach there. And just to tag on to what you said, JC, it really shows what a change in leadership, and in this case of the head coach position, can do for a team with the Red Blacks. It looks like they have a fresh energy there. Dice knows how to be a leader of men. He's been around this league a while. He's been interim head coach a couple times, has interviewed for head coaching positions as well in the past. But if the Red Blacks get a win or two to finish the season and the players have any kind of input into who's potentially going to be hired as a permanent head coach in Ottawa, there's a case for Mr. Dice to be made. You can see the players on social media tweeting out Dice emojis and really hyped up to play for this guy. So if you're Sean Burke, the general manager, I don't know, even after just that one win, how you can at least interview Dice and consider him for that permanent full-time position just with, as JC said, that energy, man, it was evident. It was totally different. It was very clear that the Red Blacks wanted to play hard for this guy. Now, we're going to find out if that was just because it was the first game or not as we go along here to finish the end of the season. But Dice clearly pumped in an entire new feel and energy on that Red Blacks team. Yeah, I, I think there's a big difference between what it takes to be a good offensive and defensive coordinator and what it takes to be a good head coach. And often in the hiring process, teams look for head coaches that were really good offensive or defensive coordinators. 
And if we look at some of the successful coaches, the most successful right now is Mike O'Shea. No one will ever accuse Mike O'Shea of being a schematic genius on anything other than maybe special teams, right? He doesn't bring that to the table. What he is is an incredible leader of men that people will rally around. He holds that whole team together, holds everyone accountable, will go to bat for his players in the media, sometimes to the chagrin of people like our own John Hodge. (laughs) But he does it. People respect him. People want to play for him. I think Bob Dice is a guy in a similar mold. We'll see how they go going forward in the next few games, if they can sustain that. But he's a guy, in my mind, should be in contention, if not in Ottawa, somewhere in the league as a head coach, because those type of guys are special, the ones that you want to play for. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers clinched first place in the West Division with a 48-11 to win over the Edmonton Elks. How should the team manage the workload of its veteran players with two meaningless games against the BC Lions still to come? Yeah, last season, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers obviously clinched first place in the West Division. Early, they had three meaningless games at the end of the year, and you brought up Mike O'Shea, JC. It should be noted, Mike O'Shea does not believe that meaningless games are a thing. I'm using that term to indicate that they've already locked up first place in the division, and the team does not need to win or lose uh, in any way, shape, or form to influence their playoff scenario. Um, that said, they played three games that did not mean anything in the standings last season. And remarkably, the first game that they played, they actually started more veterans than the week prior because they got uh, Winston Rose, the cornerback, back from the NFL, and they they put Sergio Castillo in the lineup to kick after acquiring him via trade for the BC Lions. Now, this season's different. They only have two meaningless games. Last season, they had three. And so the way I see it going down is following the same pattern that happened last year where... For the second last game of the year, they rest Zach Kolaris. They rest a handful of veterans. Stanley Bryant has played through an ankle injury. Jackson Jeffcoat's on the one-game injured list with it with uh, uh, I uh, I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. I think it's a hip injury, but don't quote me on that. Um, and so there there are some veterans that need rest. And and the other side of it as well is they really need Drew Brown to get some opportunities because Drew Brown has only thrown twenty-one career pass attempts. But he has looked really good when given the opportunity to play. And so, you know, last year, for instance, Sean McGuire started the second last game of the year. He came into that game with a bunch of hype, having played in limited capacity, and he threw four picks, and he's no longer a professional football player. Um, So sometimes when the lights come on, that is your only opportunity to see what these guys are really all about. And Saturday's game in Vancouver, it's looking like Drew Brown's going to get the start. It'll be his first career start. I can't wait to see how he does. And then when the team comes back to Winnipeg for the final week of the season after their week 20 bye, I think we will see some more veterans in the lineup, though last year they started a bunch of veterans in the final week of the season, didn't have them finish the game, rotated them out as time went on. So CFL's limited roster size changes, right? How much you can do that in the NFL, you dress 53 in the CFL, you only get 45. And plus, of course, you got 12 guys on the field instead of 11. You can't rotate everybody out, but that's how I see the Bombers doing it. You sit, sit Kolaris for week 19. You bring him back for week 21. Well, I would very much like to have a home playoff game. So I suggest that the uh, Winnipeg Blue Bombers, please sit everyone, everyone you can. Just don't bring them to Vancouver at all. I, I don't want to see them. I would like to stay in the confines of BC Place. No, I, I, of course, am in jest here. 
they will follow that strategy. I think it's important that some of these guys get some rest because the Bombers are a little bit banged up, right? The one you note, uh, you noted there, Stanley Bryant. I think that's an important guy to get some rest who is so essential to what that team does. I think has had a little bit of a down year, has been banged up, is battling through some stuff. You want players like that to get healthy for the playoffs, right? If you're going to make another run, you need Stanley Bryant to be, he probably won't be 100%, but you need him at 90%. And he hasn't been that the last couple of weeks. You also want to get opportunities for guys on the practice roster that you know haven't seen you know game time lights in a regular season game and you like I know for me and you're gonna scoff at this Hodge I really want to see Tomoyo Machino get a start there in one of these games against BC because he is one of my absolute favorite prospects the Japanese lineman through the global program I think he is has special feet I liked what I saw from him in the preseason I'd like to see him go into the primetime uh, spot on that offensive line and and see some action in these last two games. They've got some other exciting prospects on that practice roster as well. It's better for everyone if those guys get some playing time and the veterans who need it get some rest. Okay, that's enough global talk for this episode of the Three Down Nation podcast. Okay, JC, you've met the quota. Check. <laughs> I think Michael Shea and Kyle Walters and the rest of that staff over there did wonderful job of I don't say deal- if you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes insomnia brain fog moodiness or weight gain you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging the experts at midi health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause and midi can help with safe effective FDA approved solutions covered by insurance 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly... Everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Dealing with the situation last year, but managing the situation would be a better term to use. And I think they'll do that again here. And it will be intriguing, as Mr. Hodge alluded to, to see Drew Brown and what he can do over the course of a more fuller game to be evaluated for seasons to come. McGuire didn't play very well, and he's not in the CFL right now. So Brown needs to realize that his career could be on the line here and prepare and study and play hard and ideally for his own career, play well. So even though we use the term meaningless and Michael Shea doesn't like it, jobs are on the line here because guys are auditioning for roster spots in the future and more specifically for the 2023 version of the blue bombers or another CFL team if they play well, because the bombers just seem to keep finding players. So I think they'll understand how to manage it. They're going to go into the playoffs very well rested, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to cruise to a great cup title because last year, both those games that they won in the playoffs were pretty tight. So that's the perspective that, I want to see change for Winnipeg is use that rest to their advantage in the playoffs. I know the other teams 
the Blue Bombers will too, play full out and give everything and put everything on the line because it is the playoffs. But those were some tight games last year that could have gone either way in the postseason. And yes, ultimately they hosted the trophy and that's all that matters. But you would have thought with all that rest that they would have had a major advantage over those teams who came out of playoff games the week before and didn't have as much rest down the stretch as the Blue Bombers did. Well, there is some irony, right? Because in 2019, this team was banged up going into the playoffs. Chris Strebler had a broken foot. Uh, they had guys hooked up to IVs sick before the Grey Cup, but they demolished Calgary. Chris Trevler completely took over that game in the West Semi. They went into Regina, outplayed the Riders, and then they crashed Hamilton in the Grey Cup as underdogs. And yet 2021, after running the table almost in the regular season, you're right. They did not play very well in the postseason. They turned over the ball six times in the West Final, and then they had to come back from a big deficit to beat Hamilton in the Grey Cup. So it's interesting how, you know, the the regular seasons and the postseasons didn't necessarily match up. Maybe maybe 2021 was the wake-up call this team needed to avoid coming out sluggishly in the playoffs. Other point I'll make before we move on. First point, Drew Brown is under contract with Winnipeg for next year. But if he plays well, he could be a trade target or he could be, you know, maybe a Jake Mayer in waiting as good as Zach Kolaris has been. He is also 34 years old. He's not going to play forever. The other point I'll make is if you're sending Stanley Bryant, I don't care about which global great offensive lineman, whatever you got. <laughs> Obviously, you're sitting Zach Kolaris. You are not going to have a rookie left tackle protecting your franchise quarterback. London, Ontario native Chase Brown continues to light up opposing NCAA defenses as a member of the Illinois Fighting Illini, rushing for 879 yards over his first six games to lead the country in rushing yards and yards from scrimmage. Do you think he has a legitimate shot at winning the Heisman Trophy? I think with that phrasing legitimate shot, you have to say no because we haven't seen a running back win one recently, and Chase Brown does his yardage in a rather unglamorous way. But he should be in the conversation, and people around this country need to start following this story and get on the Chase Brown bandwagon because what he is doing for Illinois is absolutely incredible. It's not just the fact that he's leading the country in yardage. He's also leading the country in yards after contact. He's doing a lot of this on his own. He has 40 forced missed tackles this year. That's third best in the entire NCAA. The guy is doing it on his own for a school that has traditionally not been very good, right? They have not had a over 500 season in the last decade, and they are now ranked. They're 5-1 and one and ranked 24 in the AP poll for the first time since 2011. That's all Chase Brown on offense. Now, they have a tremendous defense as well, which is anchored in part by strong safety Sidney Brown, Chase's identical twin brother. Both of them will be in the CFL and NFL drafts this year. Some prospects to watch out for. But we all know that when it comes to awards season, we want to watch the offensive skill players. And Chase Brown should be up there in the conversation with Chuba Hubbard in terms of exciting Canadian-born college running backs that everyone should rally around. 
Indeed, Brown is on pace to potentially go over 2,000 yards like Hubbard did when he finished, I believe it was eighth in the Heisman Trophy voting. That year, he went over 2,000 yards. And by and large part, it seems like the Heisman Trophy winner comes from the Southeastern Conference, the SEC. But if Illinois keeps stacking up wins, and even if they don't lose another game, I know it's probably highly unlikely because there's some big ins still left on the schedule. But even if they're ranked and Brown gets to 2,000 yards, then he's going to get some Heisman votes, at least at the back end, similar to what Hubbard did. But it's very impressive. Those numbers you listed off, JC, just stand out immensely. And if you're making that many people miss and running through contact and creating that much yardage after first contact, you're going to draw lots of attention from NFL scouts. It'll be interesting to see if he goes higher than Hubbard did in the NFL draft. But more importantly, we're doing a lot of projecting here, and we talked about it with Nathan Rourke in the CFL, the potential for him to throw for over 6,000 yards and set a single-season passing touchdowns record. He was on pace to go for over 50, but you got to stay healthy. So let's hope that Brown can stay healthy, get over 2,000 yards, keep racking up some wins, and get some legitimate, uh, some legitimate hype and consideration for the Heisman Trophy. Yeah, I don't think he's a serious candidate to win the Heisman Trophy for the reasons that JC listed, but that does not diminish what he has accomplished, right? This is not a traditionally strong program. They've they've had coaching changes. This this is a team that needed needed a guy to rally around. It needed some hope. It needed an opportunity to to have a face, right? Put on that franchise. Chase Brown has given them that face, and I'm very hopeful that he will get uh, just as strong of an opportunity as Chuba Hubbard has, because you're right. He was a fourth round pick in 2021 to the Carolina Panthers. I believe Brown can go back to school next year. I don't see any reason why he should do that. He should probably come out given the season that he's had. And if he does, I agree. I think he has a good shot to get taken even higher and potentially do great things at the highest level of the game. Yeah. In terms of eligibility, Brown does have one more year because of COVID, but it should be noted. His twin brother, Sidney, does not chase brown actually started his college career at western michigan transferred to illinois to be with his brother i have a hard time seeing them coming out at different times especially given the fact that chase is a running back and you really don't want any more wear and tear you get out as early as you can as soon as you get that nfl interest that's this year for chase brown and that's something that brown can learn from chuba hubbard Hubbard, in my mind, went a year too late. He should have gone after that 2,000-yard season, and that dropped his stock. So Brown needs to recognize that Canadian running back or not and understand that regardless of how this season finishes, he's got to go in the NFL draft while his stock is at its peak. It's now time for Hodge's Heritage Moment. On this day in 1991, the BC Lions lost to Edmonton in overtime by a score of 45-38. The game made history for two reasons, boys. For one, it marked the fifth of six overtime games the Lions would play that year, which still stands as a CFL record. The teams also combined for 1,248 net yards, which also remains a single-game CFL record. Which is more remarkable to you, the amount of yardage these teams put up or that BC went to overtime six times in one season? 
it has to be the six overtimes for me because that is an insane season. Did who was the coach of the Lions in 1991, and how is his heart doing right now? Because I feel like <laughs> that would shave several years off a coach's life if you go overtime six times. Do you know off the top of the head what their record was in those games, Hodge? Uh, that's a great question. I'm going to bring it up. So this, by the way, Bob Obilovich was the head coach. Fortunately, Bob Obilovich is still with us at the ripe age of 82. That being said, the team's overtime. Okay. Wikipedia does not tell me which games are overtime games, which ones are not. So I'll have to do that. And I'll, I'll post it on, on three down nation as part of the three down post. So I was curious if I can figure it out with Doug, by the way, Doug Flutie is at the helm that year. Of course, I will put it in the show notes for the podcast. It's definitely the six overtimes, man. That is insane for that to happen that many times with Obi at the helm too. It shows, Hey, maybe his heart is strong and that's why he's living so long. There you go. And by the way, I don't think anyone should be surprised that the net yardage single game record came in a game with Doug Flutie at the helm. That's very true. Makes sense. Let's get to the three-minute drill. The Manitoba provincial government has offered $5.5 million to support the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in their bid for the 2024 or 2025 Grey Cups. Is that a prudent move? I think so. There's a lot of economic impact that comes with hosting the Grey Cup. The Bombers last hosted in 2015. It's time for that beautiful stadium in Winnipeg to get another championship hosting opportunity. Saskatchewan Rough Riders GM Jeremy O'Day chuckled at the trade speculation surrounding Bolivar Mitchell at the deadline. Should he have? Well, I'll say this. Calgary was never going to trade Bolivar Mitchell, especially not to Saskatchewan. But I wouldn't be laughing about quarterbacks that might be available when you don't have one that's good enough right now. The Calgary Stampeders signed breakout star receiver Malik Henry to a three-year contract extension. Has he earned that? Definitely. Over 1,000 yards already this season. The most explosive pass catcher in that Stamps offense. And had developed a rapport with Bo Levi Mitchell and quickly got on the same page with Jake Mayer, which shows he's adaptable. The one important note, the NFL window is in that contract, so he can take a look-see south of the border. I imagine he'll draw some interest after the season he's had with the Stamps. Former CFL head coach Mike Kelly told the Rod Peterson Show that today's game is, quote, bastardized NFL nickel football, close quote. Do you agree with his assessment? I agree with his assessment to an extent. The issue is that Mike Kelly coached primarily in an era in the 90s when it was perfectly acceptable for quarterbacks to throw as many interceptions as they did touchdowns, which is just not true for today's game. So throwing the ball down the field is a lot tougher, right, when those turnovers will end your career as a quarterback or a coach very quickly. Surrey, BC native Jonathan Conbo was elevated to the Denver Broncos active roster this past week and played 46 snaps. Is that a big deal? Oh, that's a huge volume uh, for a guy coming off the practice roster. I think it's a big deal for Kongbo. And yet another example of a guy who was never dominant in the CFL, but to go down and be a functional player in the NFL as well. It speaks to the talent that there is across this league. Brandon Banks told Simone Lawrence that he would have retired had the Ticats won the Grey Cup last year. Do you think he will get his ring this year? Ooh, I have trouble seeing that. The Argos have been a little too inconsistent 
for me. It's one thing to win the East Division, but to go against whoever comes out of the West, if the Argos are able to get to the Grey Cup, I think will be a very tall task. In what is becoming an indescribable or bizarre trend, the Simpsons referenced the CFL on their most recent episode. How do you feel about it? I mean, I don't know anybody who's watched The Simpsons since about 1999, but I loved watching this clip on Twitter. I am all for the Doug Flutie references on The Simpsons. The Edmonton Elks signed former Montreal Alouettes offensive lineman Samuel Thomasant. Is that a good move? Well, I'll say this. This is probably the fourth guy that the Elks have signed this year, an offensive lineman who's in the 350-pound range. It never seems to work out. I was not high on Thomas coming out of the draft. I remain low on him. I don't really like this move for the Edmonton Elks. The Hamilton Tiger Cats signed former Edmonton Elks defensive back Jordan Hoover this week. Can he help them in their playoff push? Certainly, the Hoover maneuver can help them maneuver into the playoffs, I think. BC Lions receiver Lucky Whitehead missed this past week's game due to an ankle injury and did not participate in practice on Tuesday. Should the team be worried about number seven? I don't think Rick Campbell seemed worried when he talked to the media on Tuesday. He did say not only does he expect that there's a at least at least that there's a, a certain possibility of Whitehead returning alongside work, he also threw Brian Burnham into that same category as guys who could realistically be back. Um, not false hope was his way of saying it. Not a false hope that these guys will be back. We thank you as always for listening to the Three Down, Na- Three Down Nation podcast. We'll see you guys next week for another episode. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.